You are listening to Making Bank, where we uncover the mindset and success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business. Welcome to Making Bank. I am Josh Felber, where we uncover the mindset and the success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business today. Super excited and honored for today's guest. This hits home with me. It falls into this biohacking stuff that I love. And we're going to dive in and understand his entrepreneurial side as well. But I want to welcome Jason Stauffer. He is a Phoenix native, Army combat veteran, and ASU grad with a Bachelor of Science in Engineering, Civil, Environmental, and Sustainable Energy. He has also a background in the healthcare analytics, game theory, systems, analyst, and optimization. And early in Jason's civilian career for a nonprofit, pharmaceutical gave him intimate knowledge of decreasing ability of synthetic medicine to treat the underlying causes of disease, aging, chronic ailments, and post-industrial afflictions of urban human society. So I'm excited to welcome Jason Salford to Making Bank today. Well, thanks, Josh. Great to be here. Awesome, man. Tell us a little bit about, I guess, was it, it's Morocco? Morocco. <laughs> Morocco yeah, Forge. There we go. Morocco, Morocco Forge. <laughs> <laughs> so that's your guys' company. So I guess tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started as an entrepreneur, and then we'll kind of move into why cold plunges and, and everything else. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, the longer the story goes, the more arcs there are. And so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, how do I want to tell that story? Which arc do I want to drop in on? I guess. For, for this context, uh, when I was, my first job out of college after I got my engineering degree was actually as a business analyst for a very small for-profit pharmaceutical company. Okay. Uh, I did that for a couple of years and it gave me kind of this macro, it started to give me this kind of macro level data driven understanding of how the pharmaceutical industry in the industrialized world, especially the United States, actually works. How does it value products? How does it seek uh, research and development? How does it do studies to support its own projects and to seek ultimately what every entrepreneur or capitalist seeks is a return on their investment? Sure. After moving away from that, I, I, I decided I didn't really want to be in that, that industry, that for-profit pharmaceutical industry, because seeing a lot of how it, how it deals with disease states, it's always looking for perpetual treatments. It's not really investing into cures, because again, from that ROI perspective, the question that's always passed around you know, the boardroom table is how do we keep people buying our product every month? Yeah. So there's just, and you know, the, there's really no, you know, evil geniuses rubbing their hands together in the industry. Everybody's doing, you know, what a human does, which is maximizes the return from their own position. But in this kind of grand ecological sense, that's just how the culture has developed. It's developed to treat symptoms and not even really question, like, what are the underlying causes? Like, it's just like, sure. a, there's just no room for those conversations, you know? And so I, I wanted to move away from that. And I found a position which kind of seems to be on the opposite side. I was working 
as a consultant with nonprofit hospitals, helping them change up their, their uh, pharmaceutical business operations in a way that allowed them to take advantage of very specific government programs that reduced their spend on their pharmaceuticals. So people in this, this side of the industry tend to think of themselves as like the Robin Hoods, like that they're stealing from the rich or taking from the rich, leveraging business-wise from the rich and right. giving to the poor. And that just continued to show me even more that macro level. So I had like the macro data-driven level of how pharmaceutical products are developed and valued and, and marketed. And now I was getting this macro data level of the actual disease states and the administration of these pharmaceutical products in different areas of the country. And was, I mean, I'm processing millions and millions and millions of lines of pharmaceutical data. Uh, you start to kind of even get to, or at least I started to kind of even get like this this sixth sense picture of where these pockets of disease states, of metabolic disease states and mm. certain, you know, venous disease states and, and even like, you know, STDs and things like that. Like I know where the pockets of chlamydia in the country are. Um, I know where the pockets of, of Stay away from those areas. and diabetes are. Yeah, like just watch out in the Pacific Northwest and Upper Peninsula, Michigan. Like, um, <laughs> but so I'm, I'm getting this like, it's almost sixth sense of of like of like how, what the, of the the blanket health of the culture through processing all this data. Also visiting a lot of these hospitals and um, seeing the cultures that they were in. A lot of them were in very rural areas. Um, a lot of them are in very uh, low income areas because again these are these are nonprofit hospitals that I'm working with. Sure. A lot of them are religious missions who are funded by like the Catholic Church and other things like that. All of this was just giving me this sense like that there's just something fundamentally not not right culturally again no villains you know or few if any villains just people who have been acculturated to this system of symptom management and treatment and not really looking for or seeking the underlying causes of these disease states we just kind of accept as normal that if you bump into a bacteria or a virus you were going to get symptomatically sick. Metabolic disease, uh, autoimmune disease, I guess it's just luck of the draw. Some people get it, some people don't, is the way that the culture kind of seems to deal with this. And just, it didn't seem right to me. Uh, and at the same time, um, so that's like the professional level. On the personal level, my wife got sick. She hit her early 30s and all of a sudden, it was like her body just started <clears throat> turning itself against itself. Mm, there was wow. very rapid weight gain. Um, all of a sudden, foods that she had enjoyed all of her life were now giving her allergic reactions in her esophagus. Um, she was now sensitive to botanicals that she'd been around here in Phoenix for 17 years since she moved here. Things like mesquite, uh, which is an abundance of, and you right, know, other, right. other like pollens and things like that. So I've been living around these for a decade and a half, and all of a sudden, like they're making me gag. Uh, synthetic fragrances were a big one for her. synthetic fragrances. Some of them she would catch a whiff of and it would literally like send her to the hospital. And that too didn't make sense to me. She went around to a lot of doctors trying to figure out what was going on. Um, a lot of them couldn't give her any answers. Uh, she did end up with an autoimmune uh, diagnosis of Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, 
She also uh, got a diagnosis for the esophageal allergic reaction she was experiencing called eosinophilic esophagitis, which is another autoimmune disease. Wow. And then uh, another condition called urticaria, which is like a flushing of the skin where like the botanicals around her were all of a sudden creating a flushing of the skin. And so now she had these answers from the, the medical industry. And of course, their solutions are the pharmaceutical products. So she ended up on a daily synthetic uh, hormone called tyrosine, which is very commonly prescribed for um, thyroid, uh, thyroid conditions. And uh, she was on uh, two live antibody shots a month called Zolaire, uh, which if I, we were fortunate to have really top of the line health insurance at the time, otherwise these shots are $5,000 a piece. Wow. Um, and so that was to just to kind of pull back on this, this snowballing of allergic reactions she was having to her environment and to foods around her so she didn't end up living in a bubble. But with these medications uh, come side effects. And she was also seeing a naturopath at the time and the naturopath solution is usually some sort of supplement regimen. And so she's got side effects from the pharmaceutical products. She's got supplements from the naturopath that kind of help with the side effects. Those supplements have side effects themselves. And so then there's more supplements for the side effects, for the supplements, for the side effects, for the medications. And I was watching um, not only this collection of pill bottles on, on the dresser just kind of keep getting larger and larger, the other part about it was she wasn't getting better. Like, like she was still, I mean, we could say she wasn't getting worse as fast or whatever, right. but you know, again, this is symptom management and side effect management and she wasn't happier. She wasn't healthier. Her psychology was, was slipping into depression. There was anxiety, there was stress. There was this identification as a chronically ill person, because of the, the endocrinologist says when you're diagnosed with a thyroid condition, you have this, you will always have this, you can never not have this, you must take this synthetic hormone every day for the rest of your life, or you might die if you stop taking this. And that's kind of the narrative that the industry puts on these patients. And so there's like a an identification of a, I'm now a sick person. I'm right. a chronically sick person. There's nothing I could have done to prevent this. There's nothing I did to cause this and there's nothing I can do to undo it. And that part didn't sit well with me either. And this is all kind of like coming together, bubbling from, from the experiences in the pharmaceutical industry, from working with the nonprofit hospitals, processing all those disease state data, also doing a lot of auditing of patient records, seeing how it's like a rubber stamp that doctors are out there, continue all meds, continue all meds, continue all meds. And every single visit that they have with a patient, there's always that line, continue all meds, continue all meds, continue all meds. There's no, there's no getting out of it. And that just didn't sit right with me. Uh, so I started just reading. I started reading everything I could on on biology, physiology, sociology, psychology, even diving into like old novels, looking for bits of colloquial wisdom in you know yeah. old philosophies and traditions, and trying to just kind of work on my own understanding of of, of the world and the environment that we are existing in, and what these disease states are, where they are coming from and why it's a kind of a new problem. Why in the most expensive and technologically advanced healthcare system in the world are our populations not getting healthier? Why are we not all super healthy? Why do we keep, sure. why, are these, why do these disease states keep growing and growing and growing? 
And uh, I read one of, the, one of the most pivotal books in this process that I read was a book called Anti-Fragile, uh, written by Nassim Taleb, who is a Lebanese-American stock trader, uh, professor of mathematics, and a, and a linguist. Most of this book is about uh, economic and social systems, but in order to kind of uh, define his term that he coined anti-fragile, there's a lot of biological uh, analogies to this as well. So something that is anti-fragile actually gets better when you stress it. Um, so I can take a wine glass, drop it on a concrete floor, and it's going to shatter because that thing is fragile. And that thing is never going back to the state that it was, right? I can sit here and just push my finger on this wall next to me, and my finger's going to go, it's going to go into a nub before there's really any, any difference to the wall because the wall is robust, right? But what do we call something that you put a certain amount of stress on it and it actually gets better? What happens if I push this wall and it actually got stronger? Well, that's called anti-fragile. Uh, so we can think about this in a biological sense as if I want a tree to grow taller, I can trim, I can prune its lower branches. Now the tree doesn't just grow those branches back and replace and, and rebound to the place it was before. It will get a little bit taller, it'll grow towards the sun, and that's how I can cause a tree to grow. If I want to grow my muscles, if I want to bodybuild, I can go to a gym, I can lift heavy weights. That's actually a little bit of trauma to my muscle mm -hmm. tissue. It's tearing muscle tissue. My body doesn't just send my body back to its pre-trauma state. It rebounds, right? There's, there's a little bit, there's growth there. So drawing off of this anti-fragile biological concept, I started looking for ways that I could stress my body using starting off with myself as, as a guinea pig. I was experimenting on myself. I was looking for these things to adopt myself. I'm looking for ways that I could stress my body and my system, my psychological system, my biological system in a way that had some sort of uh, hypothesis or expectation to return growth. And I'm looking for these anti-fragile stressors. I was no longer just gonna allow myself to bump into things in life and get a little bit stronger. I'm like, what can I find? What uncomfortable thing can I find that I can do or experience that is actually going to forge me into something stronger than I was before? And so, uh, first start things I started uh, experimenting with was diet was um, was extended and intermittent fasting, cutting carbs and sugar, going more towards the uh, high fat, um, low carb kind of diet. Uh, the fasting was was really like really testing myself. I started exposing myself. I started like sleeping outside in my yard in the summer in Phoenix. Um, just like you know, this is this is where we come from, right? This is right. <laughs> We're not a species that always had houses and climate control, right? Like, people camping out, sleeping desert, outside. Man. Still millions of people sleeping in the desert at night. Like, <laughs> like, what can I do here that's a little uncomfortable, but is more in alignment with with my evolutionary biology, with the with the history, the millions of years of history of uh, of you know, biology that evolved us into the species that we are today. And that's what led me to my first ice bath in October of 2017. There was a, a local yoga instructor named Gordon Ogden who uh, was doing these sporadic uh, Wim Hof uh, morning mm. breathwork yeah. sessions in an ice bath. And a couple of my friends were posting to their Instagram, like, here's me getting into an ice bath. And I'm like, 
Well, now hold on a second. <laughs> what is that? It's going to be uncomfortable sleeping outside, and you know, because it never drops below a hundred degrees here in the summer. <laughs> so it's still a hundred degrees at two o'clock in the morning. If I could sleep outside in my lawn um, to stress myself in a hundred degree heat overnight, here's something else that I might try out. Like, what can I? What can I? What can my body get from this experience? And so. I went, I did that, um, that morning class. He, you'd get a text message like Thursday night because it wasn't even every week. Thursday night, you get a text like, hey, we're doing Wim Hof, 6 a.m. at the house. Bring two bags of ice if you're in. Great. So I did that a few times. The first ice bath, and that was like something clicked. Um, you know, I got into it. Maybe it lasted 30 seconds. I know I was in there long <laughs> enough to, to get past the, um, the panic state and to like have that calm you know, set in. I know I was in there long and that long. I don't think it was anywhere near two minutes. Um, but getting out, I was like, bam, this is something. Like there's something here about this. I didn't know exactly what it was, certainly had nowhere near the detail that we've we've researched um, ever since. But that visceral experience was something like it just like all my systems were just coming back online. It was like a reboot to the nervous system, to the vascular system. I was like, feeling things that that I, I'd never felt before but for some reason it felt like like I have the equipment I've got the equipment to feel this stuff I've got the equipment to like have this perspective all of the hardware is there it was the software that got reset and right so I did a few more of those my my wife Adrian she was getting curious about it she'd already started and got curious about the fasting so she was doing that she was experiencing a lot of benefit um, with that she was starting to reduce the amount of supplements um, that she was taking because she was she was just experimenting with what can I do with my diet that would that would help me feel better or help me feel better about myself instead of these supplements and so that was already kind of shrinking down. Uh, but Adrian, my wife, she was still working a job where she couldn't show up to these ice bath classes. So I got my own galvanized steel tub, uh, got it to the backyard here in Phoenix, Arizona, and we just started doing our own Sunday you know breath work and cold baths and you know the breathing it's not hard it's not hard to replicate you know once right. you do it a couple of times like okay i got it you know breathe 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 hold 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 um go you can do it and then ice bath and that's when um we brought our other business partner tom who's an engineering professor at asu that's how he and i met um into it and we were starting to get into some of the research. Like Tom is a professor, he's a research scientist. So what he does, he gets into the literature and tries to connect dots. And so he, we're getting into the science of it. We're learning that this isn't just a party trick. It's not just something cool that looks good on Instagram. Right. Walking on coals and everybody's like, ah, oh, Johnny walked on coals. Like there was, there we were finding there was a lot of benefit. We were starting to solidify that scientific understanding of what was happening to the vagus nerve, to uh, to the white blood cell count, to the vasomotor constrictive response, to um, to the thyroid and hormonal regulation, we're starting to understand like there's some there's something here to this, and we wanted to be able to do it more often. You know, we were tired of buying two three hundred pounds of ice um, once a week to get our two hour ice bath. I spent a lot of time trying to make ice blocks by using Costco salsa tubs. Um, nice. and I, with water and stacking them in a freezer and then, and, and I was still spending all week and just getting one ice bath a week. Right. So I was like, there's gotta be a mechanical solution out there. We didn't invent cold plunges. Wim Hof didn't invent cold plunges. So we looked online and there's a couple of solutions out there. 
but they're they were only facing uh, like sports teams and um, and physical rehabilitation centers and the price right. were very high, like twenty thousand dollars and very very sports like or very medicinal or whatever. There was nothing for this emerging culture of the individual practitioner, the person who wants to go to a, a wellness studio that's a little more yogic in its decor or to have something in their backyard or their home gym or a biohacking center. And so Tom and I, we're engineers. <laughs> let's see if we can we figure this out <laughs> no thermodynamics how hard can it be yeah. um, <laughs> it turns out really freaking hard because the theory and the practice can be divergent the theory is very important to get you over the humps of the practice but um so i just started destroying dorm fridges in my backyard uh nice. learning like where where's the part that makes the cold how does it draw the thermal energy out of the indoor space and dissipate it to the outdoor space that's where the the theory comes in. I at least knew mm -hmm. that's what the process was, but now I had to mechanically figure out how is this happening, and can I do this in water? Can I can I take uh, a refrigerator that is just sucking the thermal energy out of solids inside an enclosed space, and can I do that in a tub of water? And after you know destroying three or four uh, refrigerators and freezers, it turns out that yeah, I can. I had a very ugly prototype. It was a tub that sat on a bed of sand, had a pine box built around it, like four hundred dollars worth of spray foam in the sides, and a big refrigerator door sitting on the top of it <laughs> as a lid. And you know, after a few days of running this backyard engineering prototype, uh, I had an all the time ice bath. And we just realized that you know we set out to to solve some of our own problems, um, but we were solving a problem that a lot of people were having. I kept looking online on Instagram and seeing the same Costco salsa containers. People are like, I'm making ice blocks now. I'm like, I got something for you, buddy. <laughs> let, me, let me polish up this prototype and put it in the market and see where it goes. Um, so without taking our entire half an hour just on the origin story. <laughs> Well, it's um, funny you say that. For short, my, my wife, she got into the practice as well. And uh, after about a year or so, she was off of all medications and supplements, wow, including awesome. the synthetic hormone. Um, and maybe that'll be something that she can come on and talk about. But absolutely amazing. She did what was supposed to be medically impossible, which once you do the medically impossible and post about it online, all the other people who did things that are medically impossible start to come out and be like, oh, yeah, they're <laughs> lying to you when they tell you you can't get off that hormone or you'll die. Um, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's, it's, that's awesome. I mean, that's a great tragic but then great story you know with what you guys were able to um solve from that um it's it kind of funny you talking about the the big freezer ice chests and everything and it's uh, my one buddy george bryant he had built one out of it and had his all in his ice chest out and i, I, I you gotta send me the plans and so i've been like i'm like man i'm not like super handy building stuff and all that and so i've been putting it off putting it off and you know and like you said there's not a lot of options and you know have looked to see and you know does it filter do you got to drain the water all the time do you got to you know and you just don't need a whole nother project to have to like you said 200 pounds of ice just for an ice bath on a Sunday. And then you're like doing it all again, just to go back to that same Sunday and everything. So, mm -hmm. um, it's really cool and awesome. You know what you guys have built. We'll dive into a little bit of that here in a minute. One of the big things I know we talked a little bit, you were talking a little bit about earlier is just from the health and, and, and the sick care and the way the medical industry wants to move you in that direction to keep you on. I mean, we see now I was actually getting some, uh, ozone injections in my knee this morning for when I heard it out of town last week and the doctor, the, the, uh, 
functional med doctor I was at, they're like getting swarmed with calls. They're like, do we have to have our booster shot to come in and all this kind of stuff? And they're like, I know you don't actually need it to come in. And, you know, but it's like they're already trying to stuff the booster shots down on people after people just got shots <laughs> recently for all yeah. this, you know, so it's, it's just a profit grab and it's, you know, and it's whether they know they're doing it, which there are some people I would say that, yes, they know that they're doing it. And other people that are in the companies that probably don't, know or you know or focus on that because they're trying to figure cool hey we're trying to help people and you know this and everything else but one really awesome book and i just recently just started reading it was called metabolic and might be one you want to check out and and it talks about this whole paradigm and uh why is it why are we not going back you know the it's the original you know go back to the original natural foods and you know but how bad are those a lot of those foods now with pesticides and all this other kind of junk and everything else that are creating this bad health path for us now that we have to, you know, start finding alternatives like inflammation is way high. So how do we reduce that and, and different things, not just stuff, toxic supplements, uh, not, not supplements, but, uh, synthetics and, you know, injections and, you know, all sorts of things to put a bandaid on it and instead of actually fixing it and everything. So it's awesome what you guys have created together, taking something to the next level and, and being able to get it out there. Um, I mean, ice baths, cryotherapy, I've been doing both of those for years. Amazing effects. When I injured my knee on Sunday last over the weekend, I went back to the hotel, took about 20 bags of ice, filled it up in the tub, sat in there for about 20 minutes and just, you know, tried to freeze the swelling down as much as I could uh, with that. So you guys got the prototype, now you're trying to find cool. How can we make this streamline and get it out there? What were kind of those some of those next challenges you guys ran into? Yeah, um, and so we worked a lot with a concept called a prototype. It's like you know, for anybody who's not familiar, it's the it's in between a prototype and a product. So okay. the word itself is like uh, joining of the the words prototype and product. You know, we're completely self-funded, no backing. We did this, we started this in my backyard on our credit cards, which maybe some people out, some of your entrepreneurs out there just have a little bit of a <laughs> heart attack. <laughs> um, that's just the way we did it. Yeah, so that's the situation oh, yeah. we were in. If we really wanted to, to do this and give this a shot, it was so new, so unheard of um, that, you know, going to, trying to find some other funding out there especially trying to do a, the first thing we think of like a hardware, you're, you're building an appliance in the United States out of wood and get the hell out of here. Like, you know, no software, you need software, do software, software, is right, scalable, yeah. right? <laughs> appliances, that's just China's problem. Um, so, you know, that's just the way we had to do this. Um, and so that, that prototype process has been extremely valuable for us, uh, you know, I can't remember who said it, but if you're not embarrassed of, of your product on the day you launched it, you launched it too late. And certainly the first ones that we produced and um, put out there and sold, they were all experiments. They were experiments that our early adopters kind of tacitly uh, agreed to be a part of. Um, they got in on a super low price point. Um, and uh, we committed ourselves to whatever went wrong with the product, we were going to make it right. Uh, our first models, we gave two-year complete warranties, and nobody, nobody in the country knows how to work on my product. You can't call the Whirlpool guy if something in Knoxville goes down. That was me getting on an airplane with a suitcase full of tools to go, you know, fix a wiring problem and also learn a lesson about our wiring standards. Mm. Um, 
to make it right for the customer and to take that data and that product development knowledge that we had seeded amongst our early adopters back to the studio, back to my backyard, and think about what do we need to do to improve the product. And sure. so that was kind of like the early journey. Um, and I mean, it's still a part of the journey, but right now, now it's like, you know, the the percentage of, of let's just say service calls as a whole of the products that we're producing has greatly shrinked down. Um, in the beginning, you know, maybe you know, three to five percent of them needed, you know, some sort of attention at some point, some sort of repair, some sort of, um, okay, this is how the product is performing in the field, fix it there, go back and figure out how to prevent that from happening. And so that was a really important part of our process is not only giving ourselves permission to sell products as partial experiments as a part of the prototyping product to right. the adopters, but making good on that commitment and that value to not leaving them out there hanging if they do have a small wiring problem or a refrigeration leak or finding out that the wood that we were using in the beginning that was holding up fine in the arid climate of Phoenix wasn't going to do so well in Spokane, right? It wasn't going to do so well in upstate New York through the winter. And just learning all those lessons and folding them into the product development and then changing the value proposition as we improved the product, the price went up, um, you know? And so that's, it's just kind of where our early journey was, uh, you know, you know, building it, prototyping it, and developing it. Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, NFTs, investing is all an ever-changing landscape these days. And for me, the Modern Finance Podcast, hosted by Kevin Rose, is a great place to listen to the latest trends in crypto and brush up on the fundamentals. Crypto isn't for everyone till you listen to Modern Finance. Modern Finance is the crypto show for the novice and expert alike. Their mission is to demystify crypto and the world of NFTs without dumbing it down. True venture partner Kevin Rose interviews top tech experts and entrepreneurs exploring the modern finance tools and helping others understand crypto, NFTs, and even traditional finance hacks. Modern Finance offers two shows on a single podcast feed, one weekly consensus episodes that explores weekly news and distills it into digestible information, and then the deeper interviews, which I love, with individual crypto founders and NFT artists. Don't let your crypto guy friend be the life of the party. By listening to Modern Finance, you will feel well-equipped to discuss and understand the crypto and NFT landscape. Feel informed about your investments and don't miss out on the next big thing in crypto or NFTs. Join Kevin Rose on the Modern Finance Podcast every single week so you don't miss a beat. Ten years ago, some people called cryptocurrency a scam. Five years ago, people thought it was a fad. And now it's already over a trillion dollar market and growing. The Modern Finance Podcast helps you make sense of all the coins, NFTs, and chaos. Now is the time to equip yourself with the knowledge of where things are going. The financial landscape is harder than ever to navigate, but you don't have to do it alone. Download and subscribe to Modern Finance wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Modern Finance wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't be the last person on the next train out. Listen to Modern Finance and get ahead of the future of finance. So obviously you're working out the kinks and the bugs and everything you know, out of the units. And everything. What I guess sets your guys as apart 
you know, maybe some from some other ones out there. It was actually kind of funny before John had connected us up. I was looking around. I was like, oh, there's one. It's like an ice drum. It was like a big old ice drum, and you had to fill it and put ice in it and still maintain it and all that. And then there's some other ones I've seen that are cooling and things like that and stuff as well. Um, but I know, like, looking on your when I would review, was reviewing the stuff on your guys' site, you know, it talks about like maintaining kind of that same temperature, you know, consistent same temperature and things like that. I guess maybe go into a little bit about what separates, you know, from a quality standpoint and operational standpoint with it. Sure. First and foremost, uh, what sets us apart is performance. Uh, nothing really on the market that I've seen gets anywhere near as cold as ours. Um, okay. I, there was one I haven't really fully checked out, this, Canadian, this new Canadian company that's pretty derivative of what we're doing. They might be, be doing it the way that we're doing it, but we make ice. I mean, you know, and in, in, that's one of our taglines, you know, and that's one of the best visual representations of the practice you can see online is when somebody has that forge built ice. It's not ice cubes. They've got these ice chunks and you, if you use like Epsom salts, you can create this nice slush and it's that cold. Uh, it's like 32 degrees where a lot of the other solutions, they're using a different technology. They're using a circulatory chiller technology, which is why they don't get lower than like 42, 41, because it's, Uh, it's just a different process. Um, the other thing is our ozone disinfection system. So, uh, our ozone disinfection system is engineered so that you never need any other, uh, chemical, uh, treatments or additions, no hydrogen peroxide or chlorine or anything like that. And I won't go too far into the details because some of my competitors also use ozone. They just didn't design theirs right. But <laughs> we designed ours right so that uh, if it's functioning as intended, then there's no no need for any additional chemical treatments. That's and then the warranty right? service. Another thing I talk about is the warranty service. So okay. Again, it's our commitment to our customers to whatever's going on with the system still a two-year comprehensive warranty on our personal use models awesome. and in our commercial stainless steel prism models it's a comprehensive five-year warranty which is just nothing out there nothing out there is going to back their own product with that kind of level of commitment to service uh, for that long of a period of a time so as as business models start to open up and we're getting more and more sales and inquiries of people who are opening up uh, business establishments to sell it as a service that protection on that business investment that five-year anything warranty, I feel is a really good differentiator of us in the market. That's awesome. So then you have like a larger model that's more of a commercial use for biohacking places or yoga studios or different places like that, that uh, somebody can get. Yeah, it's got a a custom fabricated stainless steel tub. um, Okay. Our prism model, our our personal models uh, use the galvanized steel, uh, which is great for, for personal family use. It's just, we, I mean, we have, we had one biohacking um, salon that was literally getting like 40 or 50 people a day through their unit. And wow. uh, again, <laughs> the first model that we sold them, um, we sold them one of the galvanized steel tubs. And we're like, okay, 40 to 50 people a day, that tub material is just getting worn down, worn down, worn down, worn down. It started yeah. to a rust spot in the middle from everybody stepping in and stepping out. And so the lesson there is, well, I guess you got to start fabricating stainless steel tubs. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's awesome. Guys, that's what Jason's talking about. I mean, you know, taking those cold plunge, you know, it's super amazing from a health benefit standpoint. Um, Maybe you've tried cryotherapy, maybe you've sat in a cold tub or tried a cold shower or something like that. Um, But the overall just 
health benefits, performance, mindset, uh, everything just helps from a mental and physical standpoint be better, feel better. Uh, as, as his wife, you know, being able to come off all the different medications and supplements and things like that and, and reduce all her uh, chronic illnesses and stuff that she had at that time. So it's definitely worth it and you're and, and test it out at home. You go into your tub, buy some bags of ice like you did, put them in your tub, try sitting in there and you know see how you feel. That's you got to test and try things. And then, you know, when it's time and you're ready 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 for that upgrade, then you know you get get a unit that's going to help you improve, you know, so you don't have to worry about buying those bags of ice every day or every week or whatever that may be for you. Um, and put that in there. I know I'm definitely got to get ordering one here because my kids keep on me about it now lately, especially since they knew I was interviewing you today <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that we're seeing you bulletproof. So they're going to be freezing down there in, in, in the tubs. But what's super cool, I was having to click on while you were talking on your uh, site, like it actually makes those like chunks of ice that are floating in the tops of the tubs. That's so awesome. Thanks. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's really uh, a great part of the product, I feel. And it was something in the earlier prototypes that I missed. I was making very cold water, but I, I missed like the visceral feeling of the ice and having that like blend sure. of ice over me. And so I'm glad we were able to uh, kind of in, in, increase the, the product um, quality to a point where we are making those ice blocks because it's just, it's just a different experience. That's awesome. And I, I know recently, and we got to wrap up here in a minute, but um, you guys were recently on Joe Rogan's, or you, Joe Rogan just got a tub from you, right? He did, yeah, recently, uh, a few weeks ago now. And that's been, it's been a big boost to, to bandwidth, and, and we're working hard on scaling our production again, um, hiring, training, and just staying on the journey of, of uh, growing the company, growing the culture, and uh, continually um, growing the product. Awesome. So if you guys are ordering, there might be a couple week delay there is. <laughs> with all his orders that he's got coming in. <laughs> so um, cool. Uh, one last thing. You're like, oh, man, I was hoping Josh was going to ask me this during the show, but he didn't. I just want to make sure I really share it and get it out there and just let everybody know before we wrap up. I guess. Yeah, I, I, I want to say one of, you know, now that I'm in a, a position where uh, I'm kind of looking back on that that earlier grind of the journey and now we're scaling and we're having to overcome you know scaling in our, our email inboxes in our in our uh, communications channels and the way that we're taking on and training new people something that has been very uh, powerful for us in our growth is communication and uh, and language hacks and speaking to each other in ways that are kind of manicured to foster growth so we have very specific ways that we say things very specific ways that we talk about things we have phrases that were very important in the early stage and they still are like what if if we're mm. stuck somewhere then now we know we need to be in a what if phase where we're just like what if the next thing we tried was this this and this um, that helps to kind of restart the creativity in the mind another thing is uh, what problem are you trying to solve? Uh, so often people, when they don't know what to do, they'll start creating solutions for problems that aren't there, or they'll create solutions for problems that aren't the best problems to be working on. So being able to stop someone and say, what problem are you trying to solve and help guide them through defining the problem is a powerful way of working incrementally towards a solution. Another one is, uh, what's the smallest possible experiment we can run that will lead to new knowledge? 
when we started the company, we started ourselves from the position of seeking knowledge. We didn't seek to make the coldest and best ice bath in the world. We sought new knowledge in every experiment that we tried, you know, and that kind of helps manage the failure aspect as well. It's not like, well, that didn't work. It's, well, what did we learn? And now what is the next experiment that we want to run that will lead to new knowledge? And so that helps kind of not only put you on that path to gaining the knowledge where the product takes care of itself, so to speak, it helps manage those like, ah, I screwed it up, that was wrong, I just wasted 500 bucks on this gizmo that I'm just throwing into the trash. But, well, what did we learn? And what's the next experiment we want to run? And we've got dozens of these little language hacks, and uh, I could go into that, and maybe someday I'll publish a book. But uh, they're, very, they're very important, they're very powerful. And now that we are rapidly growing, having those in place and being able to acculturate people quickly to that method of speaking and communicating with each other is so valuable. And it's really what's helping us kind of rise to this occasion. And I'm glad that we already had those kind of systems and hacks in place. Yeah, no, those are awesome. And I think that makes a huge difference, especially taking those and you're passing them down through the, your team as you're growing and, and making that part of uh, what you guys are doing in the company uh, will help definitely give you guys for sure uh, an edge on uh, everything that you're doing. So uh, where can people go check out more information about uh, the tubs and, and, and you and what you guys got going on? Yeah, our website is uh, marotzkoforge.com. That's M-O-R-O-Z-K-O-F-O-R-G-E.com. Uh, Instagram is at Morotsko Forge. And then my Instagram is at Jason underscore Morotsko. Again, that's M-O-R-O-Z-K-O. Awesome. Guys, I hope you guys are just listening to what Jason was talking about today. Tons of amazing different solutions from a health perspective to some bi a business perspective and different ways that you can improve your overall health, your life, and what you have going on right now in, in, in your business. So make sure you go back, rewind, listen, watch this again, take those notes, and then start applying them today. And uh, Jason, thank you again for coming on Making Bank. Really appreciate your time today. Yeah, I appreciate it, Josh. Thanks so much. I am Josh Felbert. You are watching Making Bank. Get out and be extraordinary. Thank you for listening to Making Bank. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. And sharing is caring. Follow Josh Felber on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more. You can also listen to Making Bank on Amazon Alexa, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and watch on Apple TV, Success Thinkers Network, Amazon Fire, and YouTube.